Good morning. It's good to see you all. I'd like to give you a very warm welcome. Great to see some familiar faces back again. Good to have you with us. And uh, welcome as well to those of you online. Really good to have you as part of the service uh, this morning. I'm going to start uh, just by reading a few words from the Psalms. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Well, I wonder if you've come with a sense of worship this morning. Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it, when it's a, a busy morning, a hectic morning. Well, we're going to sing our first song now. It's about the, the light of the world that came down into darkness. And uh, we're encouraged to worship every time we get to the chorus. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing together. Just a couple of things to say. 
before we read God's word. Um, on Tuesday the 21st, we have a men's bowling event, which you can hopefully see on the screen there. Um, so starting here at 7.30, um, £7.50, um, and Josh is sharing um, his, a little bit of his life story um, and what God has been doing in his life. And then God willing, we'll be going for a game of bowling over at Hollywood Bowl. Um, just to explain, this is primarily for us men here at Forest Fold, just to get to know each other um, and encourage each other. Um, so it's not specifically evangelistic like some of our other events. If there's someone that wants to come, you know, don't feel you have to block them uh, by any means, but uh, primarily it's uh, for the men here. Just to say as well, uh, over the coming weeks in the build-up to uh, Easter, we're hoping to look at some of the... the um, the great declarations of Jesus where he says, I am. So we're looking at the I am's. We're not 100% sure how many we'll do. We'll see how it goes. But um, there are some great statements that Jesus says, massive things that he declares. So we're looking forward to getting stuck into those and investigating those. Um, and hopefully they'll be good to invite people along to as well um, as we look at what Jesus says. So feel free to invite people along in the build-up to Easter. And then obviously Easter um, well, there'll be other things to invite them along to, which would be great to have them there. Also, uh, just to say that um, some of you, this is just awareness, really, but we've got a youth conference here on Saturday. Uh, so from 4 to 8 p.m. on Saturday, we've got a youth conference for 14 to 18-year-olds. Um, we've got a guy called Rich Arnold coming to speak. He's there, or has been heavily involved in the youth work for the Sussex Gospel Partnership. And basically speaking, uh, well, from Colossians 1 and Revelation 1, just on really the sort of ultimate supremacy of Christ. So I can't really think of a better topic. Um, so far we've got 61 people signed up. Really thankful for that. We'd love more. We have heard of more that are definitely interested. Um, so pray for more people to come to that. Pray that it'd be a really good day. People from lots of different churches come in. Um, and actually I'm going to pray for that now because it's quite a, a big thing. Um, so let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that next Saturday, Lord, we can have a conference here. Lord, we thank you for the freedom to do that. But Lord, we thank you especially for the topic. Lord, we thank you that we can look at the ultimate supremacy of Jesus, who he really is. Lord, not just the carpenter, but the king of kings, the one who made all things and who reigns over all. And Lord, I just pray for, the, for all those young people who come, and actually for the leaders as well, Lord, that we'll get a fresh sight of who you are. And Lord, that it will warm our hearts, that it will fuel our minds, and that we'll go away having seen something of you that day. Lord, I pray that that day may have a real impact on many young people's lives. That it may impact their everyday lives as they go into the, the weeks in the future. Lord, we pray that they'd have such a vision of you, Lord, that it impacts everything. And Lord, I just pray for Rich as well as he prepares to speak. Lord, I pray that you bless him. We thank you for the gifts you've given him. And Lord, I pray that you bless him as he prepares, that you'd use him mightily and encourage him. And Lord, we pray all this for your kingdom. Amen. Well, the title for this morning is 316. 316. To some of you, it might not mean a huge amount. Maybe some of you can guess what it's about. It'll probably help that we're in John chapter 3. So our reading is John chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 21. So John 3, verses 1 to 21. 
is what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, sorry, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So that's the reading, and later we'll be particularly focusing on uh, verse 16. Well, we're going to sing again. You may notice this theme, Jesus coming to earth. Um, links in with the reading as well. From the squalor of a buried stable, by the spirit and a virgin's faith, to the anguish and the shame of scandal came the saviour of the human race. And then after that, John Hitchcock's going to do the children's talk. So children, if you come up after the, the song.
people I want to show you this morning, and I wonder if uh, any of you have got these, Happy Land people? Anyone been playing with Happy Land when they were younger? Yeah, some of you. What about Sylvanians? Just going to have to lie down. It's not feeling so well, that one. There we go. Some more Happy Land people. There's a policeman. Um, what about the Sylvanian? What about these people who's got Lego? Yeah, lots of people got Lego. They're great, aren't they? The only trouble is when you take their hat off, their heads come off sometimes. That's a bit unfortunate, but there we go. Let's sit some of these people down. Some more Happy Land people. Oh, and what about some Schleck people with the animals and things, yeah? So we've got those as well. And I expect you spend hours, hopefully rather than on your screens, playing with things like this. Or perhaps you're a bit old now, some of you. And you make towns or farms and zoos and buildings out of blocks, or perhaps the Happy Land come with lots of buildings, don't they? And um, maybe you set up this world for, the world for them to play in. And it's all set up. You spend hours in your bedroom. And you're about to play this game, and you have to move them around, and I guess that lots of you got some great imagination. But imagine if one day this world that you'd made came to life. That would be a dream come true, would it? Possibly. And instead of pushing the cars around with, the, with them inside, they all started walking around and enjoying what you'd made. And they started talking to each other. They started driving the cars. That would be, that'd be really exciting, wouldn't it? all came to life. and But it wasn't long before they started sort of, I don't know, just being a bit nasty to each other. And um, the Lego people got bullied for being so small and, and, and just people started being selfish. They started breaking up the things that you'd made. They, they were kind some of the time, but they was, they was just, just not very... So you, so you step in and you say, well, hang on a minute, and this is all going to go terribly wrong. What do you think we could do for these people? We could give them some, give them some space. Yeah, that might be a good thing to do. What could we give them to help them to live and get on well together? 
give them some rules. Yeah, so what, what kind of rules do you think we'd give these people? Just to have a few about how they could get on well together. Yeah? Don't bully each other. Okay, yeah. Be kind to people. Yeah? You're going to say be kind. Good. Yeah? Obey. Yeah, okay. So if somebody says something, perhaps the children, to obey their parents or something, that would be a good advice, wouldn't it? Yeah? Anything else? But telling the truth would be a good one, wouldn't it? Do you think that, that would save a lot of problems, wouldn't it? And being kind to each other. Sharing. Yeah? Okay, love each other, love your neighbour. Yeah, that's good. Oh, perhaps you've heard these rules somewhere else. They're good, aren't they? And uh, so you say, right, folk, everyone, this is all going swimmingly, but it's not really, because if you live by these rules, let's carry on playing, and you play by these rules, and, and you'll be happy. But they don't. They say, no, no, that's, we just want to live our own way. And they look up, and you say, who on earth do you think you are telling us how to live in this world? Do you think, you, do you think that you'd have the right to give them the rules? Or do you think they have the right to make the rules? Do you think you do? Yeah. They're your toys, aren't they? Yeah? You've made their world. And so you've got the right to tell them how to live. And after all, you want the best for them, don't you? Yeah? But they carry on trashing the place. They find some of your Sharpie markers and manage to pull the lid off and and make marks all on the carpet. That's going to be a difficult one to explain to your parents, isn't it, later? And they just ruin everything. And trash the place. So, can you think, what we're going to do with this lot? We've given them warnings, we've given them rules, and they're still just doing their own thing. They don't want anything to do with you, talking behind your back, and they're hurting each other. What what could be some of the options, yeah? Okay, so we could punish them. Yeah, would that be fair? If they've, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, Uh, a reasonable punishment for, for the way they've behaved. What other thing could you do? What would you do? Say, yeah? Put them away, that's right. Yeah, say, right, I'm done with you lot. I'm done with you lot. You're all going back in the box. Okay, end of game. And they all just become plastic again. Okay? So I'm going to start over again. I'm going to, I'm going to sell them. I don't want them ever coming back to life again. Okay? Uh, would you have the right to do that? Yeah? You'd have the right to do that. They're your toys, aren't they? And you put them away. Okay? Because they belong to you. Now I want us to think about God. And he's built and made this beautiful world. And he's made you, and he's made me, and everybody in here. And he's put us in this beautiful world to live, and to live for him. And, um, and do you know what? It doesn't take long to look around, does it, in our lives at school, or when we're playing together with our friends, that there's selfishness, that there's being greedy, that there's unkindness or being jealous of other people. And or even if we might be a very kind person, we might say, well, I'm, I'm a very good person, I'm very kind to other people. I don't think God should have the right to tell me how to live, though. That's one step too far, because this is my life, and I live it how I want to live. And what do you think God thinks when he looks down and sees, sees all that kind of thing going on in his world, his beautiful world? Well, he gave us rules, didn't he, to live by? And the Ten Commandments, some of them we've been thinking about because we thought they were good rules. You thought they were good rules. They would be good to help people get on well together. But you know what? People in this world, and even us, we we just don't obey those rules, don't we? And in fact, lots of people say, nah, what don't God have anything to do with my life? 
I'm, I'm king of my life. I don't want God to tell me what to do. Has God got the right to give us rules to live by, do you think, in his world? Do you think so? Yeah? He has me. God has got the right to tell us how to live in his world. But we reject God and we do the opposite of what God says. So the question is, like I asked you, what are you going to do with these people? What's God going to do with the world? What do you think, what do you think some of the things, what, what has God got the right to do to the world? Think about some of the things that we thought we had the right to do over. Yeah? Honestly, that would be, that's another one of the rules, isn't it? Yeah. Don't, don't lie. Tell the truth. Does, would God have the right to say, look, I'm done with this world and the people in it. They've just rejected me. I've been so kind to them and they've just broken all my laws and rejected me. I'm going to start afresh. I'm going to wipe it all out and start over. Does he have the right to do that, do you think? That would be fair, wouldn't it? And God did that back in Noah's day, didn't he? He said, look, the wickedness of me people's got so bad, I'm going to wipe it out, save one man and his family who loves me and we're going to have a fresh start. And God has the right to do that. He's the right to tell us how we to live in his world. And he's the right to start over again. But that looks a bit bleak, doesn't it? Because um, however nice a person we are inside our hearts, we're sinners and we reject God. So what is God going to do to the world? Well, the Bible tells us that God is going to wrap everything up one day. He's going to fold it all up and start over again. And if we just had that, that would be bad news for all of us. But I'm not going to tell you anymore because John's going to tell you the rest from the Bible verse that we're going to be looking at later. What has God done for the world is the question. And John, I think, is going to answer it for us. Okay, so go and sit down again. Well done for listening. Thanks, John. Well, let's come before God in, in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are a kind and compassionate God. Lord, I thank you that you do warn us. But Lord, I thank you as well that there is some good news that we're going to hear this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd make us really ready to hear that news as we listen to John speak uh, shortly. Lord, I pray that it would really hit us as such good news. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, some of us this week, uh, in our midweek prayer meeting, Lord, we're thinking of Hezekiah and how he was facing difficulties and problems and threats in his life. And he came to your word, to what you've said, and he came to you and he laid out his problems and his worries before you. And Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that that's what we can do. We can come before you. And we can lay all our concerns, all our problems, all our worries before you, for you to see. And Lord, we thank you for what Hezekiah said as well, as we read it in Isaiah. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see what is going on. Lord, we thank you that you are that God. Lord, that you're enthroned above the nations. Lord, the King of kings. And yet, Lord, you choose to 
listen in to what we're saying this morning. Lord, you are able to see what's going on. Lord, we thank you that we have a God who sees. Lord, we're looking forward to hearing a bit more about that tonight. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be more aware of you as we come this morning. Lord, that we would see you better. Lord, that it would be a real joy to pray now and a real sense of privilege as we come before you. Lord, we thank you so much for John and Esther, our pastor and his wife. Lord, we do pray for them as they go away, God willing, uh, for a few days soon. Lord, we pray that you'd refresh them physically, mentally, spiritually. Lord, that it'd be a, a really good break for them. Lord, you know, the last few months have been quite a long run without a break. Lord, we pray that you'd bless them during this time, that you'd be with them and that it would do them much good. And Lord, I pray for us as well. Uh, in their absence. Lord, as we have visiting speakers, as we do the other roles as part of the church, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and bless us during that time. Lord, I want to bring uh, Dr. Rosie Crowter before you as well. Uh, Lord, as she returns to the UK this week from her mission, uh, she's been doing for so many years in Papua New Guinea. Uh, Lord, you know it's a big culture shock for her, Lord, each time she comes back. Um, a big thing for her, Lord, we pray that you bless her as she does that. Lord, we pray that this time would be a real blessing for her. Lord, we thank you that um, she's making the most of things like conferences and meetups. Lord, we pray that that would be a real help to her. Um, She would really treasure those, that you'd speak to her through those, help her to grow in understanding, but also in closeness to you. And Lord, I pray as well that she'd be a real blessing to us, those of us who meet with her, those of us who she speaks to. Lord, we know that in the past she's been such a blessing to so many of us here and such an example as well. And Lord, again, I pray, Lord, that you would use her to bless us. We thank you for her, uh, for her humble, wise service and her love for you. Lord, I bring before you as well uh, Margaret Diaz and her family and Hilary and her family. Lord, in these difficult times, Lord, we pray that you'd be really close to them. Lord, we pray that above all, Lord, that they may know your closeness. Lord, we thank you for where you have proved that so many times already. We thank you for that. But Lord, they need continued help. And Lord, we pray that you would give that to them. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who can give that. Lord, who can be there at all times. Lord, who never lets us down. Lord, people do, sadly, even the best of people. But Lord, you don't. Lord, you stick closer than a brother. You stick closer than a a family member. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray as well, Lord, that you would work here in our church. Lord, we've already prayed, Lord, I pray that you give us a greater vision of who you are. Lord, that each one of us, Lord, as we come on a Sunday and at other times, Lord, that we would know that we are coming to worship you. Lord, that it wouldn't just be a routine, but that it would be a joy because we see you and we want to worship you. Lord, I pray that you'd warm up our hearts if they are cold. Lord, because we are, we're so like the people of Israel who just kept wandering away from you. Lord, forgive us. Lord, bring us back. Lord, I pray that we may be a people that loves you. Lord, we thank you. There are times in the history of your people where they just loved you so much and they were praising you and it was such a joy to be part of. Lord, I pray that more and more that's what it may be like uh, for us. Lord, I pray that 
more and more what we hear and what we experience on a Sunday may really impact us during the week as well. So that when we're in work or when we're just making those everyday decisions that we make all the time, Lord, that these things may really impact it. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive and working in us as a church, powerfully moving. Lord, I pray that it may be a witness to those around us so that people may be talking about what's going on at Forest Fold. And Lord, not for our glory, but so that people find out about you and that you are glorified and that people follow you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a church and individuals that deny ourselves and truly follow you. Lord, that live distinctive lives, different to the world around us. They live lives that do seek to obey you and rely on your Holy Spirit to help us when we struggle. Lord, give us the power. Lord, we cannot obey you without your power. Lord, we thank you that you give us your spirit to help us obey you. Help us to do that, Lord, I pray. And Lord, again, I just pray for John as he speaks this morning. Lord, I thank you for the prep that he's put in. Lord, I pray that you bless us, that you'd help us to understand it, that it would come with a freshness and a power for us this morning. Lord, as we hear of your incredible love. So Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before John speaks on his love, God's love for the world, we're going to sing a song about God's love, how deep the Father's love for us. And then John's going to come and speak to us.
So 3.16 is our title this morning. It was a rather smart name to a youth group, for a youth group in Crowborough. I don't know if it's still going. 3.16. And it refers, as you, you would have guessed from what happens already, to a verse in the Bible. John 3, verse 16. American footballers tend to have eye blacks under their eyes, black areas. They're supposed to stop the glare, but there's uh, no real basis for that, apparently. It just looks quite cool to have eye blacks under your eyes. And there is uh, an American footballer who uh, called Tim Tebow, who so wanted everyone um, to have their attention drawn to this verse that on his eye blacks he had written, I think in a silver pen, John 3.16. John 3.16, and he did that for a very big game, and as a result of that, over 90 million people were googling John 3.16 to see what it was. Oddly enough... Um, Three years afterwards to the day, he was playing in another big game. And the stats were unusual for this 316 man. With several 316s coming up in the key data. So that even ESPN called it eerie. And other news agents commented on it. And as a result of that, Over another 90 million people googled John 3.16. Well, you don't need to google it uh, this morning. I'm going to read it to you and it's going to have our attention. Here is John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the verse that he wanted lots of people to turn their attention to and that is this morning what we're going to turn our attention to. In some ways it has the Bible's message in one verse. Sometimes verses like this have been called little Bibles or Bibles in miniature. I remember once buying a flannel and I bought the flannel and it was that big in a little packet, about an inch, an inch square. And then you got home because it was all condensed and compressed and vacuumed probably. And then you got home and when you put it in the water, it expanded to the full thing. And this morning, it's as if we're looking at uh, just a, a little part of the Bible, which could be filled out into the whole of the message. Now, there's a lot you may not understand. There's a lot more it's good to understand. But put that aside for a while and just make sure you understand this this morning. Children... Hopefully you can understand what we're going through this morning. Maybe others here don't understand so much, it's all fairly fresh to them. Well, I hope you can take this in. Others of us perhaps have found that our minds are cluttered with all sorts of things and we need the simplicity of a verse like this this morning. Others of us have loved this truth but will be enjoying being going through it again. We're going to go through the verse I'm going to highlight different parts of it and uh, going to do it under four headings as well just so that you can hold it together. 
We're thinking first about God's love. God's love. What do we know about God? Well, we know quite a lot about God. He's creator, he's judge, he's almighty, he's all-knowing. We can think of the different names of God. We thought of one last Sunday evening. We'll think of another one this Sunday evening. God is, is multifaceted in wonderful, excellent qualities. But such a big part of all this is that God is a God of love. In fact, it's put like this in one part of the Bible. God is love. God is love. So you see here, we have the word love, for God so loved. He's a God of glory. He's a God of majesty. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of transcendence. He's a God of supreme. But he's also a God of love. Uh, Last Sunday, I hadn't decided what to speak on uh, this week. Uh, Two things prodded me in this direction. One of the things was that four of the girls here in our Sunday school uh, were handing out Bible verses and they gave me one and maybe some of you got one. And here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. And they put a little uh, red heart on it as you can see. Presumably they were especially drawn to the fact that it was an act of God's love. God's love. We learn here something about the size of God's love. Because it says, for God so loved the world. We often love little, don't we, to our shame. We often have many love towards others and towards God. But God's love is off the scale. God's love is vast in all its dimensions so that Paul really prays that Christians might understand what is beyond fully understanding the height, the depth, the breadth of the love of Christ. It is vast and big for God so loved the world. We learn something as well here about God's love in terms of its direction. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. That was amazing to the people that were being spoken to here. They would have thought that God's love was directed only to the Jews. And here I find out it's much bigger than that, that God loves the world. The world actually in the Gospel of John is not a nice place. It's talking about God's love here for the unlovely, for those who didn't love him. It is a wide love. It is a broad love. It is God so loved the world. It is a global love. As the whole earth basks in the life-giving rays of the sun, so across the globe God's love radiates. It is shown in lots of ways, in what we might call God's common grace. So this morning you were in a bed, in which you were in for the night, gave you comfort, and you had breakfast, if you were up in time, and you've put 
warm clothes on. And perhaps you have family and you have health to some extent to be here. You have lots of experiences of the kindness of God. But here God's love is chiefly shown in his gift, in a special way, God's gift. Because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. God is a generous God. Sometimes those who are mighty are mightily greedy. That's how they got to where they are. God, though mighty, is generous and kind and gracious and loving, even to those who don't deserve it. And he gives. Well, what did he give? What more could he give? He gave his son. His son, with whom there was such a a bond of eternal fellowship, warmth and love. His son, whom he loved so much, the apple of his eye, we might say. And he was willing for him to come to the world. And Jesus was willing to come to the world. Let's imagine a, a medical family. Doctors, consultants, qualified. Let's imagine that there was a major health issue in a developing country. A terrible health problem. Um, Lots of people dying from heart failure at a, a young age. There's a common heart defect in the area which is leading to the death of many people. It can be corrected perhaps by surgery. While others concerned about the situation send a bit of money, some send some equipment, others send a few textbooks, but this family, realising the situation and having a specialism in heart surgery, realising it needs something else. And the son is willing to go, and the father is willing for him to go. And he leaves the the, the cosiness of a private practice in London with uh, salaries commensurate with private medical care. And he leaves the sort of luxury of a Western capital to go into this developing country and live amongst them and to serve amongst them. And he does it out of love. Well, that is what the Lord has done. And it is his only son. There is a sense in which all believers become wonderfully sons of God, children of God. But there is only one who is a son in this way, in a unique way, who was equal with him from eternity, divine, and that son is given. Why does he do that? What does it achieve? Well, the next verse tells us that it is an act of rescue for God, verse 17, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I don't know if you like snakes. Maybe you like snakes. Or maybe you like snakes on television or behind uh, thick uh, glass screens. Perhaps some of you are not quite so keen of them face up, up front. 
Well, we've just heard about snakes in this uh, account in John chapter 3. And the Son of God here is compared to a snake. There's a, a, something that happened in the past which pictures him as a snake. It's quite shocking, really. The people back in Old Testament times, in Numbers 21, had done wrong. They had rebelled against God. They had defied God. They had moaned against God. They'd been like happy land people, Sylvanian people, in terms of rebelling against God. And we've done the same. Venomous snakes were sent through the camp at that time and people were being bitten and people were dying through this judgment and punishment that God allowed to be put into the place. The people beg for a way of escape and God provides a way of escape which is to put a snake on a a bronze pole and for Moses to hold it up and those who look to the snake then are cured of the poison that is within them, and they carry on living. It's in verses 14 and 15 here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Jesus, like that snake, was lifted up. It's a picture of the cross, the cross being lifted up. And on that cross, he takes upon himself the rebellion and lack of love and selfishness and greed of people across the world. There is an enormous amount of shame and blame and guilt loaded on the Saviour as he dies instead of them as the perfect one. All of that sin is dumped on the Son of God on the cross. The cross is the bridge to life. The cross is the ladder to heaven. The the cross is the key to God's presence. And Jesus, this gift from God, goes to the cross. It's summarised in one of John's letters, chapter 4, and 9 to 10 like this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's gift is of his Son, who would go to the cross. The verse moves on to think about our response. Our response. And our response there is to believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We say, is that it? Is that all? (coughs) To believe... What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? This is the key response. Well, it it means to accept the facts. That's part of it. 
But the, the devil accepts the facts. If you like, the demons would be quite good at Sunday school answers. They know their facts, but they're not true believers. So it's more than just believing that Jesus existed. It is, it is trust. It is acting on. It involves personal response. It involves entrusting ourselves and our salvation to him, that we need him. Entrusting our life to him, that we become his follower. Like the, the snake on the pole, people who were bitten realised their need and their only hope was to find a way through so that they could see the pole and if they looked at the pole, they lived. It was an act of faith, going to a place where there was a, a cure and looking and finding life in that look. Imagine being in that community in the developing country. Well, you, you know that this son has come from his sort of place in London and you know he's a medical surgeon and you believe that and uh, perhaps you've seen his certificate and you know he works at the local hospital and that's all fine. In one sense you believe in this surgeon. You've heard others say that he's quite a good surgeon and that he's helping out a lot in the public health of the community. But if then you have some strange heartbeats and if you realise that you've got this life-threatening defect in your heart, then you might go to him. And you might end up signing some, some consent forms. And you, you might be laying yourself on the table to have anaesthetic and to have surgery because you need what he can do and you trust him as the person who can deal with your problem. And so it is to have faith in Jesus. Yes, we accept the facts of who he is, but it's more personal than that. We've come to realise that we need him as our saviour and that he is a good saviour, that he is qualified and that we need him. And it's a sense of if we sign the documents and we lay ourselves on the table, we say, Lord, I need to be saved. You are the saviour. Take away my sins by what you've done on the cross. I believe in you and I'm coming to you. That's the response that is necessary. Who's that response for? Whoever believes in him. Whoever believes. So not just those with a Christian upbringing, not just those who've been to a church school, not just those who count themselves from a Christian country, not just those with a clean criminal record, not just those who were prefects at school, not just those who have donated to charity, not just those who are kind and uh, speak the truth. Whoever believes, those who knew nothing about Jesus before last year, those who were expelled from school, those who were born in an Islamic country, those with criminal convictions, those who often got detention, those who have previously stolen and never given, those who have always been rough and told lies, 
That is the simple response for whoever, whoever believes. Have you responded in that way of personal trust in Jesus, God's Son who went to the cross? There's a simplicity in it. It's sincere, but it's simple. It's the work of God's Spirit. You're being born again, as it says earlier in the chapter. Whoever believes. You want to know more about believing? Gospel of John is full about believing. It's the whole purpose of it that people might believe. Have a good look through the Gospel of John if you want to know more about Jesus and putting your trust in him. Lastly, it tells us about our future. There are two futures in this verse. Firstly is the one that we all deserve. The one where we would ordinarily be heading. It talks about people perishing. In the community, those with the defect, unless they got that heart surgery, were heading for an early death. In the desert, those who got bitten by the snakes and didn't look, they came to the end of their lives very quickly. The Bible talks about that for us and says that the soul that sins, it will die. That the things that we've done wrong, wrong as Sylvanians, Happy Land, Lego people in our attitude to God will lead to punishment. It's not just talking about death in this life. The Bible makes clear there is everlasting destruction, a place called hell. That is what is in mind when Jesus talks about perishing. There was something else that put me onto this verse last week. It was um, getting that uh, lovely slip from the girls. But also in the evening, I, I read a little of this book, I'm Just Heidi. It's about Heidi Crowter. Uh, the book has been mentioned here before. Uh, some of you perhaps know her. She's been in the, the national news a fair bit in the last year or so. Uh, she's been designated by the BBC uh, the top 100 women of uh, 2022. She's uh, a lady with Down syndrome who campaigns for uh, disability rights. But she's also a Christian and... Uh, Uh, She says it in this, I am a passionate follower of Jesus and God has helped me every day to achieve so much. She talks about her favourite verses and top of the list is John 3 verse 16. And when she's talking about uh, earlier years, she says this, When I was 12, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus and the verse that changed my life was John 3 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was then that I opened my eyes to see who I was before the Lord and that frightened me to the very core. So I knew I had to put my hope in Jesus otherwise I would be heading to a lost eternity without God. So she became aware of this danger of perishing. 
that that is one future ahead of people. That is the future we are all heading to. But that need not be our future. Jesus came so that people should not perish. That should not be their future. That should not be their experience. For those who believe and put their personal trust in Jesus, there is a different future. And that is the other future we have in the verse, which is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that eternal life starts now. They have eternal life. If you're a believer, God has given you eternal life. The Spirit is at work in you. You have a spiritual life which has already begun. But the wonder of it here is it goes on forever. Those who believe have eternal life. They're not facing perishing. They have everlasting life. Ten minutes after death, they have life. Ten days after death, they have life. Ten years after death, they have life. Ten centuries after death, they have life. God, who is an eternal God, wants humans to share in that eternal life. And he's made a way out of his love for that to happen. And believers have everlasting life from the eternal God who gave his Son. You ever think about your future? I can't tell you what your immediate future is, but you're wondering what's going to happen next week or month or year or couple of years and, you know... I'm no forecaster, I can't tell you. But I can tell you what the Bible says about your longer term future. Death will come if Jesus doesn't come again first. And the futures in front of us are one of two. There is the future which is a future called perishing. Everlasting destruction. And there is a future for those who are believers which is so vastly different. Eternal life. Because of his love. Because he sent his son. Because Jesus took the load of guilt instead. So, 3.16. Perhaps you can understand why that American footballer and many others wanted people to look up, Google, think about this verse. There's much more to understand. But don't miss out on understanding this verse in its straightforwardness and its simplicity. Don't miss out on the vital response required from this verse and this love gift from God. Be responsive to God's gift and God's message. Be responsive at this time, maybe even today, in the true expression of a heartfelt prayer of faith and trust in Christ to God.
3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We'll just have a little quiet for you to pray in personal response, either out of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you already, or maybe in coming in personal faith and repentance the first time. And then we'll sing a wonderful song as a result of this. So our closing song is to God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world that he gave us his son. And then we'll look at the chorus as well, the next verse, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice, oh come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done.
Lord, we thank you for this mini-Bible that we've looked at this morning as we've unpacked this wonderful verse. We thank you to hear of the vastness of your love, of sending your Son into the world, of his willingness to go to the cross, of the transformation that it can bring to our situation. And we pray, Lord, that we might, if we've not before, put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be moved from that awful future which was ahead of us to one of everlasting life. Do be at work through this verse. This day we pray to your glory. Amen.